0: I invite us to uh, place our hands over our hearts as we open with prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the awesome gift of life and for every mysterious beating of our hearts. We thank you for the gift of your love, becoming flesh in Jesus, and we thank you for the precious gift of this faith community. And yet our days pass and our years vanish, and so often, dear God, we walk sightless among miracles. So by the power and help of your Holy Spirit, help us to slow down, to slow down to the speed of awe. And help us to discover that the gate of heaven opening to you is everywhere. Amen. The bitter rivalry between Jacob and Esau starts already in the womb. Just ask their poor mother, Rebecca, whose pregnancy feels like one long, exhausting wrestling match. Their struggle then continues right through the labor, with Esau struggling out first, And then Jacob, hot on his heels, (laughs) literally holding on to his twin's foot. Their struggle then spills out into the world, with Jacob eventually tricking Esau out of his birthright. Remember that story? And then his enraged brother, Esau plotting to kill his twin in response. And all of this is the sad, sad backstory for the story that we heard about just today. Where Jacob is now a man on the run. Right at the very beginning of his long and painful exile from his family and from his faith community. Indeed, he will never see his dear mother, Rebecca, ever again. She will die before he's able to return many decades later. Now, commentators also notice something in this story, very important. How a secular fog a secular fog seems to pervade Jacob's life. God seems to have no place in Jacob's life. In contrast to his grandparents and his parents, Jacob seems to have no need or awareness of the sacred in his life. Sleepwalking through his life, his focus is only on sly scheming and greedy acquisition. And after Jacob flees from his brother, we meet up with him tonight in a moment of utter vulnerability and desperation. He's a fugitive out alone under the dark sky, exposed. To beasts, and with only a pillow of a stone. (laughs) That can't be very comfortable, can it? And it's now that God, at his most vulnerable time, just as God has broken into us or through to us at our vulnerable times. God breaks through his secular fog with a luminous and mysterious dream. A dream that powerfully contrasts his current isolation and separateness with this grand vision of community and connection. First, Jacob sees a ladder. And then a stairway to heaven long, long before Led Zeppelin, with angels ascending and descending upon it. It's a dream that connects Jacob with God and with all of his descendants before him and all of those who will come after him. It's a dream also. Did you notice? That moves him out of tribalism and connects him not just with his own family, but with the whole family, the human family, all the families of the earth, not just your family, God says to him, will be blessed through you. And when Jacob finally awakens from his deep, deep sleep, in more ways than one, Awe suddenly comes upon him. And he exclaims, God is in this place and I didn't know it. God is in my life and I did not know it. This is the gate of heaven. Let's say that together. This is right here, right now. For Jacob, awe becomes his gateway into a deeper connection with God, a deeper connection with others, a deeper connection with his own soul. But a deeper connection with Esau? Surely not. Well, (laughs) stay tuned. Now, I want us to notice one more thing in this beautiful story. As we learned last week when we took off our shoes with Moses, remember that? The spiritual needs to be expressed physically in order to be remembered and treasured. This is very, very important. All religious ritual understands this well. We need to get our bodies involved, engaged. In order to shift from a Teflon to a Velcro experience that sticks. Are you with me? We want these powerful experiences of awe to stay with us and not to slide away. And so, in today's story, what does Jacob do but get physical? He builds a pile of stones. He raises an Ebenezer to remember this awesome moment. And in the same way, in our own lives, not on street corners, but in our quiet moments of awe, we too can express, get our body involved by opening our hands to God in gratitude. Gently bowing. Or just placing our hands over our hearts. It's all you have to do to remember how God touched you in that moment. Did you notice our dear brother Dirk just out, released from his bone marrow transplant, leaving home? Did he just get in the elevator and go home? No. He rang the bell. We don't just say, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, we get wet. We get dunked. Sometimes I did. I needed it. So that we never, ever forget. Did I become a follower of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. I did. I'll never forget that moment. So as we learned last week, awe is what happens, whatever happens. Whenever we experience something vast, like the Milky Way, or very small, like a dandelion, that transcends and expands our understanding of reality, awe awakens us from our sleepwalking through life. Oh, we do that so much, don't we? Just sleepwalking. Wakes us up to contemplate the depth dimension of life. Don't miss it, the God dimension, to start taking a long, loving look at the real. Capital R. By God's design, our experiences of awe invariably decrease our me-focus, me, 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 and they increase our we-focus, which is what our planet so urgently needs right now in its climate crisis, a we-focus rather than a me, me, me focus. Awe right-sizes us to find our proper place in our deeply interconnected, an interdependent planet by God's design. That's how God made us. Awe blows up our little minds and gives us the big mind of Christ. And sometimes all we can say is, wow, let's say that together. Oh, come on. Wow. And in Spanish. Wow. Chinese. Wow. Do it with your hands too. Wow. Like you're seeing fireworks. Wow. And since she isn't here today. There's one person in our church who models this receptivity to all like no other one person among us. I'll give you a hint. She's always telling us how wonderful it is to be alive. To be together. To be loved by God. Who am I talking about? Queen Esther. She's our queen of wow. A great and precious gift to our congregation right now. Don't walk sightless among miracles, dear friends. Our queen of wow. In his book on the science of awe, you can tell I'm stoked about this subject. And I know you are too, because you've been emailing me all week. It's been one of the richest periods of preaching that I've had. In his book on the science of awe, Dacker Keltner has greatly expanded my understanding and appreciation of where awe happens, and how often it happens, to really begin to believe that the gate of heaven is everywhere. He talks about the eight wonders of life, and you can find them listed in the bulletin. I want to highlight just uh, four of them. Awe comes upon us, he says, through sacred encounters with God out in the wild. Some of you have been posting pictures of your travels and your experiences of awe. Awe comes upon us through the moral beauty of other people's kindness or courage, their moral beauty. Isn't that wonderful? Awe comes upon us, as Elisa shared with us, through our liminal experiences of witnessing birth Or death. And finally, awe comes upon us through our times of collective effervescence. I practiced it today, this morning, so I could actually say it. Collective effervescence. Let's say that beautiful phrase. Collective. When we are singing together and jumping in VBS, and when we're moving and swaying and worshiping God, together here in this place. And dear parents and dear grandparents and dear mentors, cultivating awe in our children is one of the most crucial ways that we can pass our faith on to them. Amen? Take your kids out on an awe walk to help them make the crucial connection between beauty and awe and their experience of God's presence in their lives. Connect the dots for them. And start with something as simple as noticing the exquisite beauty of a dandelion. I mean, take a look at that, at those petals, the serrated Ends of each of those petals. Or, like Kara Davis shared with us last week, just to take a walk out in your blueberry patch and experience God. I want to get a little personal here because I've been deeply impacted by our focus. And it's helped me to remember or to realize and remember. That awe has been running like a golden cord thread through almost every decade of my life. Awe came upon me at eight or nine years old when a Palestinian lifeguard pulled me out of the riptide in the Mediterranean Sea where I was swimming and saved my life in Gaza. You never forget that. Awe came upon me as a teenager when God mysteriously touched my soul on a moonlit California night in an orchard in ways that I still can't explain to you. And I don't ever want to. Awe came upon me in my 20s in China. When Danette and I watched our brave, courageous students out in the streets, marching, marching, marching for a better China. Awe came upon me in my 30s, this isn't going to surprise you, when I saw two Baltimore Orioles, I got to get it in. A blaze, a blaze in the sunlight in a tree nearby. And they became my spark bird. It's a phrase, it's a term. My spark bird that opened up into a world of wonder and migration and greater concern for our planet. It started with a couple birds in the tree. Awe came upon me in my 40s when I discovered silent prayer and finally began to more tangibly experience God's love in my life. And awe has been coming on in my 50s, and I don't have much time left in them. Every time, my extended family, once separated by divorce and estrangement, now gathers for thanksgiving every year wow i thought that it would only happen in heaven so how about you how about you how has awe come upon you how has god god's presence touched your life i urge you to think and to treasure these experiences in your life I'm going a little longer today because I want to get to something very, very important. Because awe also happens to be one of the great themes running through all of Scripture. Awe comes upon Elijah when he hears God's still small voice. It comes upon the disciples after Jesus calms the storm. And it comes upon the early church when suddenly everybody is holding things, sharing things in common. There are 53 references to awe in the Bible, 92 to amazement, 38 to reverence, and 109 to wonder. But, and this is the clincher, we also find many places In the Bible, including our call to worship today and verse 17 today about Jacob, where we see people who are clearly terrified and utterly afraid of God. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see people Struggling with a very huge question. Is God to be feared or to be loved? Is God awful or awesome? And the Hebrew prophets, especially, and then most wonderfully, Jesus, I believe, help us to move. The awe dial from fear to love. As John, first John 4:18 says, fear has to do with punishment. And anyone who's thinking that way has not reached perfection in love. As the writer Terry Tempest Williams puts it so beautifully, the difference between fear and awe is a matter of our eyes adjusting. It's a matter of our eyes adjusting to God. Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great Jewish rabbi of the last century, said that the best translation of Proverbs 1-7 is not the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which is what it says in all of our Bibles. But instead, the awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, God doesn't want our terrified fear. God wants our loving reverence. All right, so let's close where we began with our dear fugitive Jacob decades later after God has called him to return home to his long estranged brother Esau it is one of the most dramatic and the most neglected stories in the whole Bible it's not in the lectionary by the way so on his way home And you can go read this later on in Genesis 33. Genesis 33. Jacob now sees his brother Esau coming in the distance toward him, followed by 400 men. (laughs) It looks like a massacre. But suddenly, Esau runs out ahead toward Jacob to meet his twin. He wraps him in a huge embrace, falls on his neck, and kisses him again and again and again. It's in Scripture. And awe suddenly falls upon these two estranged brothers. They come together, and they start sobbing uncontrollably and then Jacob tells Esau to see your face is like seeing the face of God and one more gateway to heaven swings wide open for both of them amen